So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time of week it is. It's a pop culture podcast time of week. It's, uh, it's what we're calling it. I'm on dad duty tonight. The boys are asleep. So if this goes, if you're hearing this, it means they didn't wake up through this podcast, which is which is a huge win based on the fact that my wife's gone out to watch the Waifs tonight. I don't think if you're outside of Australia, you're going to know who the Waifs are. The Waifs were big, I think, in around 2005. I was a big Waifs fan. I'm still a big Waves fan, actually. There's something about... I don't know if they're an all-girls band, but it's like the Dixie Chicks. There's something cool about an all-girls band. I don't know what that is. I mean, I sound silly if it's not an all-girls band. I don't know, but the lead singer, she's a she's a woman. She's got that song, Lighthouse. And I remember back in like 2005, 2006, it was still my song. It's still fairly consistently on, on my top playlist or on my top played songs for the year. It's... It's what even even my boy likes it. I messaged a guy the other day. He said, "Hey, do you want to come to my room and do comedy on Thursday night?" I said, "Mate, I'd love to." But my wife's gone to see the Dixie Chicks in action here in Queenscliff, and he goes, "Mate, I didn't think you could get more country than that." So I think it's that kind of. I think it's that kind of band, to be honest. I think the Dixie Chicks, uh, not the Dixie Chicks, well, them too, but the Waifs, They're very. They're a very country style band. Very Aussie style band. Did you ever hear that one? I'm in London still. I hope you can pick up my accent on the phone when I call across the country. When I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't sing. I'm going to get done for copyright if it sounds even mildly like it. You can't be, you can't be doing that. Uh, crack a song. It takes me back. One of my friends sang that song in year twelve. She was Carly Minter is her name. Carly Minter, great, great chick, cool chick. I haven't seen her for a long time, actually. Old Carl's. But Carl's Year 12 sang that song, uh, London, still at, at the school talent show, 2004 or 2005. And, man, I was impressed. It, it got a special place in my mind as a result. So Jesse's there. I'm on dad duty. It's, it's good. My, my eight-month, nine-month-old, eight-month-old, Ollie, parents, we're going through an interesting phase. The, the second boy in our family, is, he's a chiller. He's one of the most relaxed kids you'll ever meet. He's actually a, an absolute pleasure to be around. I love both of my kids, obviously. That's the right thing to say, and it's true. It is true, but you've got to be careful saying but after a question like that or a statement like that, don't you? Because people read it the wrong way. I do. I love all my kids, or both my kids. You can only say all when you've had three or more, really, can't you? But Charlie, he's, they call it three-nager, don't they? You've got terrible twos and three-nagers. Nothing, nothing's really said about age four, which I'm trying not to wish my days away, but... The truth is, I think the fact that nothing's said about four is a, a fair sign that things start to improve around there. Because you all know from the time they're born to the age of two, it's a bit of a shit show. And then you go, well, what happens when they're two? And they go, no, it's it's terrible twos. And you're like, okay, so when they turn three, no, no, it's a three-nager. Um, I don't know. Like anything after four and five, there's there's not really much in there. So... My boy is emotional, my Charlie boy. He's, he's got some passion. I like it. We called him the lion. He's Leo, born in August. Before he was born, Jessie was saying to me, she's, she goes, I know, he's, I know he's going to be a passionate kid. I go, well, how do you know that? She goes, I've just got that vibe a little bit. I just, I just feel that he's going to be a passionate kid. And man, to say the least, and it's usually nice because his passion is, 
it's on my side really he's a he's a passionate kid and he wants dad around but just the last couple of days he's he's turned into a, a little bit of a mum's boy slowly which makes more sense to be honest because when you look at what's actually happening in our relationship and who's taking care of the kid you go oh of course of course he should love her more because she's the one who keeps him alive completely i'm i'm essentially i'm just like a what are they called when you when you have like an olive vine ornamental I'm essentially ornamental. I, I say that not because I'm not doing my best, but I say that more because, um, I don't know, I like the, the things that keep him alive, the things that keep him, the, just the things that keep him functioning are the things that my wife does. And uh, I mean, I do, I do a lot of fun stuff, like I'll take him to the skate park, I'll do all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, I mean, if you're going to be giving out any awards, they all go to my wife, apart from if the award was just who's the most fun, I think I probably should win that because it's usually the irresponsible one, isn't it? Like irresponsible. There's one more irresponsible person in a relationship, and I think anyone who knows us knows that that's probably that's probably me. I can't. Jessie's quite a serious person as well, so even when she's joking, you don't know as much. I like that. I find that attractive, but if you don't know her, it can be a little intimidating. She's she can come across as standoffish, and, and that was what me attracted. In fact, she's still a little standoffish. I cleaned the whole kitchen tonight. She didn't even say thank you, and um, and there was something sexy about it. I've just lied to you all. I got angry at her because I cleaned the whole kitchen, and I was trying to surprise her, and she came out, and uh, she didn't notice, which was completely fair. I mean, she does most of the stuff most of the time, and I thank her sometimes. So, you know. Perhaps a little bit of a double standard. I have to try and be nice as well because it's her birthday tomorrow. I find I find birthdays a, a really stressful time of the year because there's only a couple of times in the year where you're really expected to deliver. And a while ago, we we just had a rule: hey, don't let's not buy each other gifts and cards. And people always said to me, they're like, Tyus, don't ever believe a woman when they say that because the truth, like a woman will say that, but they don't mean it. But Jessie said it in full sincerity. She said it in a way which I really believed it, and so I just started not buying her gifts or cards. And then I'll just give her an air card. I'll just wake up in the morning and tell her how great she is. It turned out not a not a fan of that at all. She um really wasn't impressed with with my approach to uh to birthdays and stuff. So, and here's the thing: like, I don't know why I struggle with it so much. I don't know what it is. I just I, I think it's because I personally just I have no in, like. If you didn't get me a birthday card, good. I don't want one. <laughs> you know, I don't care if you say nice words. I appreciate the fact if you think I'm nice, but you don't. I honestly, you don't have to tell me. It doesn't doesn't mean that much to me. Come and give me a cuddle. That means much more. But Jessie, she gets really excited by words, and and so I was thinking that tonight, what I was going to do, because she likes meaningful, thoughtful gifts as well. So I was thinking, what I would do is I'll just get an A4 piece of paper, and I'd get my little boy to draw all over it, because it's. Kids are easy as well. It doesn't have to be a great design. It just have to be some squiggles. And if you've got squiggles on the paper, she goes, oh my gosh, like that's so cute. You've actually gone out of your way to get the kids to design it. I picked up my boy at daycare today and he was squiggling all over this piece of paper. So I picked that up, put it in my pocket before he drew on the other side and thought, all right, that's the card sorted. And then Saturday night, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take her out in Gippsland. We're going down there for a couple of nights. Gonna go to Nelson's, little uh, little restaurant in, in Trelgan which has got a good reputation. We're supposed to go to little Japanese place, but apparently they're closed. I don't know what's going on there. They're closed down for a little while, which was disappointing. I'm going to go there. And then maybe I'm trying to decide. You reckon I'll, I'll take her maybe to see the John Farnham movie? So I understand this is a very Aussie start to this podcast. There's a lot of references being made. Gippsland, uh, John Farnham, 
I mean, is there anything else that I've said so far that just gives out a very Australian or, or Gippsland vibe? Not 100% sure. Ah, oh, the waifs. That's what it was. I'm coming at your real country. So all I've got for tomorrow is a card, and then Saturday's where where we're really going to deliver. Mum's on mum duty or, or grandma duty, and then from there we'll uh, we'll party. We'll party. It's been a big week this week. It's been a it's good weekend coming up. Great weekend last weekend. I tell you, I was I was booked in. So there's a, a a guy called Richard Stubbs. If you're my age, you won't know who he is. I don't think, or you might half recognise his name. He was I think he was like a I know he was a radio presenter, and I think it was from sort of when my mum was maybe growing up. I Googled him, he's 65, that kind of generation. So I assume he was maybe like 30 to 50 when he was doing the radio gigs, 30 to 60. That's a fair chunk. So 35, yeah, he must have started in sort of 1990 or so. I didn't even know he's a comedian as well. But I had a, a gig booked in with him up at the Slovenian, the Slovenian club in research here in Victoria, up in the hills, and, and we had about 200 people there. It was, it was the biggest gig that I'd done to to that point, which was exciting because a lot of that you guys have heard me talk about, a lot of the open mic gigs, are, there's 12 people there. There's 15 people there max. I did one in Frankston last night, which was a two-hour drive with a, a very sore back to 15 people, but it was a, a fun little gig. It was outside, which was the wind was blowing a particular way, and it was... It was uh, I'm not sure if the audience weren't really liking my, my jokes or, or the wind was quickly taking away the laughs. I think it could have been a combination because people looked like they were smiling. It's a strange experience, though. But 200 people there last week, I was thinking, man, I hope I do well. Because 200 people is enough to get, like when you stand in front, you go, oh, this is going to be very embarrassing if, if I'm not that funny. And I reckon, honestly... I had, a, I had a great set, really good. You know those nights where you don't have to be a comedian to get it. You just have to have something you love. When things just come together, when things just flow, there was a cool connection. Sometimes you just connect with the audience. And I remember I remember sitting up there or standing up on the stage and from the moment I got up there, I was looking at these guys. And I was like, man, I've got this. I don't know what it was. I just felt, felt all this love for these people. I was thinking, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe they were giving me a certain smile or a certain vibe. And I remember being up there just going, man, I love this. I love someone. I don't know who it was, but I heard someone say that's the best attitude to get up and do stand-up comedy in. Like you got to get up there with that attitude of of just loving the audience. Because all of a sudden, if you're thinking about how much you love them, you're not thinking about how nervous you are. And I mean, it's hard to it's hard to cultivate that. Like it's hard to manipulate your feelings sometimes. But anyway, for whatever reason, I had a whole heap of love for these little Slovenians, and uh, I got down and Stubbsy goes, "Mate, good set." I said, "Thank you very much. It felt good." And then the next day, how's this? I had my best mate. Over at my house, he was about to get some dinner. My wife was cooking. I'd already done comedy the, the two nights before that, and the, a bloke called Dave, who's a, a comedian here in, in Australia and also a he's an event organiser, he gets he does some good gigs. And I'd asked him before if I could go to one of his gigs. But you've got to understand, like I'm a, I'm a little newer to the comedy scene, and so I'm still trying to establish my name in the industry a little bit. But after the night before, I thought, oh, well, word gets around. And I knew the event promoter or the event organizer of that Stubbsy gig was friends with this other guy. And I was like, oh, it'd be interesting to see if, if word gets around on how that went. Anyway, I I happened to look at my phone. Because for whatever reason, this this phone that I have, it's just constantly set to silent. Like even if, you know, it's got that little that little knob on the side that you flick it to loud even when I do that, it's like, I don't know what it's got in it, but it just, it springs back to silent. And so I just happened to look at my phone. It said David was was calling on Messenger. I thought, what's this about? And he goes, mate, heard you did well last night. I said, I oh, thank you very much. 
he goes, dude, what are you doing tonight? I was like, oh, mate, just got my, I'm, I'm just having a, a night in, been out the last couple of nights, got to do husband things, got my best mate here for a little bit of dinner. And he goes, I want, I want you to come and do a gig um, at the Cameo Cinemas, I think it was, in Belgrove, back in the, back in the hills. And, and I was like, dude, um, I don't know if I can. He goes, oh, it's for a bloke called Arj Barker. No, he didn't say that. He said it's for Arj Barker. I knew who he is, who he was. I watched Arj Barker back in the day. Anyway, I said yes, huge opportunity. I was driving down there. The biggest audience that I'd done was the night before, 200. This one was 300 in a cinema, packed house. It went pretty good. It went pretty good. I'm just saying it was a, a good feeling. It's funny when you get excited about certain news that you have, though, and you call someone to tell them how excited you are. I called my mum because that's just what I... I've got the reputation of calling my mum just when things get excited. I'm not kidding. When my wife and I were, were sitting in a bar back in 2008, I, I felt the chemistry with uh, my now wife. I thought she was about to tell me she liked me, and she did. came out after she rejected me a year before I asked her out. She said, no, nah, you're not my type, not what I'm looking for in a man at all. <laughs> I, I sensed it again, and she was right. I got excited. I said, hey, you stay right here. I've got to go call my mum. I was an only child, grew up with mum, and so I think I've got a little bit of an excuse to to be able to act like that. Some people say it's it's not really appropriate. I called mum. I go, hey, mum, guess what? She goes, what is it, mate? I go, hey, I've got a, I got a, uh, a gig tonight with Arj Barker. She goes, oh, my gosh, do you? I go, yeah. She goes, mate, who is that? <laughs> I was like, I mean, mums are good like that because they, they try and be excited. They try and get behind you and cheer you on. But, I mean, that zaps a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the, the fun out of a statement like that. You want people to know who it is because you're trying to make yourself sound like a big deal. Anyway. Anyway, so that was my that was my last weekend. Then, as I said, yeah, I was at the gym on, on Monday. I'd been doing so much driving around. I could feel like a little dullness in my lower back. And I was thinking, ah, oh, this isn't good. This isn't great. What's going on here? And uh, anyway, three or four episodes, three, three or four episodes, what am I talking about? Three or four reps. I've been watching too much YouTube or something. Three or four reps into my, my first set. I just felt a little ping. And I thought, I, I genuinely just thought it was just a little tiny ping. It didn't feel like anything, really. So I was like, all right, I won't. I'll just go to 70 kilos and see how we go there. I did a set there, and I was like, oh, it's probably a little too tender. And so I left it. And then the next morning, oh, my gosh, I've been walking around. Seriously, as I said, I drove to Frankston last night, and it was one of the – it was such an intense drive. I had cushions and pillows. It, it must have looked ridiculous seeing me uh, seeing me drive past. I had so many things there to try and support my body that it was just a, it was just a disgrace. And so I'm, I'm going through it. I'm going through it. Oi, here's one for you. I don't know if you guys follow this scene very much, but I, I recently found out that Hollywood, as of 2024, they're starting to introduce diversity quotas into the movies that are made. So, for example, if you want to be considered or if you want to be nominated for an Academy Award, you have to hit a certain diversity level in the films that you make. Otherwise... You're not going to be considered for the Academy Award. Obviously, Academy Award, it's highly renowned, highly regarded. Though The last couple of years, I think it started to lose a, a little bit of its reputation for being really, really good. Because, I mean, the Academy Awards have a reputation for being incredibly woke, don't they? 
Like they want to try and they want to try and appear as though they're on the precipice or or they're on the edge. They want to see as though like appear as though they're kind of they're kind of creating the territory for for what we should be doing as a culture. And as a result, people are going. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Did a little bit of research. How's this? So with the diversity quotas that they're trying to introduce, it would have meant, and these are only a few of the films that are included in this list, these following films could not have won an Academy Award. It couldn't have even been nominated. Titanic, Forrest Gump, Godfather 2, Casablanca, Schindler's List. <laughs> just, a, just a couple of classics. And so it's it's so strange. So, so essentially, here's the new requirements. You've got to include at least one lead character in the movie who is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. You have to have at least 30% of the general ensemble cast be from at least two underrepresented groups, women, ethnic minorities, LGBTQ+, or people with disabilities, or having the movie's subject focus on one of those groups. It's a strange time we're living in, isn't it? It's a weird experience to see this because when you look at art, when you look at uh, like these creative scenes, the idea of having to get, create within a box of, of what government tells you is acceptable, and it is government because the government's saying, uh, I think it was passed by Gavin Newsom in 2021, but it's only starting to be implemented as of 2024. The, the films that don't hit the diversity quota, not only are they not able to be nominated for an Academy Award, they also incur an extra 4% tax. And those that do hit the diversity quotas, they, they receive that payment from, from, the other, from the other ones who I guess haven't done it because they receive like a 4% surplus to, to the edge of it. So, so I was doing a bit of research on this and the New York Times said, here's how kind of where it started. And it's interesting because I'll tell you the numbers around the Academy Awards and it seems to be on like a really interesting timeline based on this. So on January the 15th, 2015, the Academy awarded all 20 acting nominations to white actors for the first of two consecutive years, inspiring finance lawyer April Rain to create a hashtag Oscars So White. In the movie business, nothing is feared like bad press, and by 2016, time-worn incentive structures had begun to tilt in favour of increased diversity in front of and behind the camera. Films like Get Out, Black Panther, Coco and Crazy Rich Asians drove, multicultural, drove a multicultural gold rush at the box office as well as the Oscars, where a recorded 13 winners of colour took home awards in 2019 alone. It was interesting. I was I was watching an interview. I can't remember what station it was on. Richard Dreyfuss, uh, uh, I think he was either a... I, I should know this. I need to do a little more research. He was an Academy Award winner, as far as I'm aware. And he was asked how he feels about this, and he goes, mate, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> like... And people love to look at that and go, oh, okay, he's obviously racist, and of course he could say that because he's a rich white man. But you you got to understand that, like, it, it seems to it seems to make sense, don't you think? Like, once you start trying to curate and force a certain narrative to be shown to the world, all of a sudden people start to resist that. And you can see this because in 2014, the Academy Awards had 44 million people tune in to the actual awards. And then it seems that the more and more work that they go, the less and less people watch. In 2023, there was a total of 18 million. It was the third lowest ever viewership, only third behind the two years previous to that. 
it's interesting. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with it because obviously people are left with a number of choices. First of all, I mean, you can go elsewhere to record your movies. But second of all, I reckon if I was in the position of like being a film director or an actor or an actress, regardless of my race, gender, sexuality, all of a sudden, like the prestige of the Academy Award starts to disappear a little bit, don't you think? Because you realize that it's only the films who fit this really narrow criteria that are even being considered. As I said at the start, like there's a number of films that wouldn't even have been considered for an award had, uh, you know, had this been implemented in years earlier. So it's a very strange thing. I reckon, uh, here's my prediction. I think over time, if they don't change this, they're, they're going to just start to lose a little bit of prestige. I think the Academy Award will start to mean less. I don't know what you guys think, because I think the, the nature of story and the nature of like trying to put together something creative is to tell a story. And if you start saying, no, it has to be black, white, or gay, or whatever it is to tell that particular story, and you don't start going for the, for the best person for the role, all of a sudden, I mean you start to lose a little bit of quality. And I reckon at the heart of what it is that so many of these actors, actresses, directors, whatever it is, whoever's involved, at the heart of what it is they got in the industry for, it wasn't to push some just political agenda. I'm sure there's a few, but to actually be able to create films. I mean, it's crazy when you start to look at other areas as well. Like if you have a look at the NBA, I don't know the exact percentage, but majority, like a large majority of players in the NBA are black. Like imagine if all of a sudden the NBA said, no, no, okay, well, like the, uh, say 10% of the American population is black, but 90% of the NBA is uh, is black, then there's an imbalance there. Like it seems as though we need to incorporate some more Asians, some more white guys. All of a sudden, I start to look as though I might have the opportunity to go and play NBA. But we're not interested in that because the truth is, I mean, it appears that when it's a minority group that you're talking about who's dominating an industry, all of a sudden these diversity quotas don't mean as much, do they? And the same can be said for like Major League Baseball. I'm not sure, again, what it is, but Hispanic players seem to dominate the game there. Uh, Major League uh, Major League Baseball, uh, yeah, I just said that. Um, what is it? National Hockey League. And what was the other one? I mean, it's just interesting. You take this argument outside of the film world and all of a sudden it starts to look really silly. I mean, so I mentioned that 44 million watched it in 2014, 18 million watched it this year. How's this for a fact? 1920, 95% of films were filmed in California. 2023, only 55% of films were filmed there. Interesting. I think, obviously, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to being limited on what it is that you're required to do, people are going to start going elsewhere. I don't know. What do you guys make of that? Are you interested? I never personally sit there when I'm watching anything, like whether it's basketball, baseball, football, a movie, a TV show, and start going, oh, okay, well, these guys don't appear to have hit the uh, the appropriate diversity for this particular thing, so I'm not going to watch it. I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, like, is this a good story? Anyway, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. It's hard to get your head around. It's a strange time we're living in, isn't it? In saying all that, happy Pride Month, 1st of June. <laughs> the month where it's illegal to be straight is, is how it feels. It's funny, like, man, I don't want to bring a negative vibe here. I don't want to do that. But have you noticed, like, every time you turn on a TV show, like whether it's sport or whether it's news or whether it's politics, like there's some political agenda just hitting your left, right and centre. And they love it. Where where I live, man, Dan Andrews, our premier, which is essentially our governor, man, he is 
he's like, I don't know if he's as bad as Justin Trudeau in terms of how left he is, but he's he's challenging him. He he's putting up a he's putting up a good fight, that's for sure. And uh, and so we just don't hear the end of it. And the problem is, I I've got zero issue with any gay people. In fact, I've got a lot of friends from comedy who are who are the gayest people you ever meet. In fact, a lot of lesbians in the comedy scene as well. And you know what? <laughs> Couldn't care less. It's weird that you even have to justify it. But you have to say that because all you're saying essentially is, hey, hey, look, pardon the pun, but don't shove Pride Month down my throat. Do you know what I mean? I just, I'm happy to, I'm happy to celebrate, I'm happy to celebrate these people as long as, as long as you're potentially happy to celebrate just like a heterosexual marriage as well, which I'm happily been a part of for the last 13 years. I reckon we need a heterosexual marriage month. Just to celebrate that as well, because if everyone's got to be included and we've got to celebrate everyone, we've got to celebrate diversity, you have to celebrate all of diversity, don't you? We need to have a celebration month where for people who had questions around the COVID vaccine. That's <laughs> that's my thing. We have to have a celebration month for anti-vaxxers. It's time we start to try and understand the struggle that they're going through. I mean, for years we haven't taken anti-vaxxers seriously. It's very important we take some time just to ask questions, to understand what life is like in their shoes. We're not that interested, are we? Oh, what a funny time. What a funny time. Man, it makes comedy It makes comedy fun. It makes comedy fun. I, I tend to like comedians who are a little bit edgy as well. Like I like the comedians who say the things you're not really supposed to say. But it's it's so much harder said than done. Like it's oh, sorry, it's so much easier said than done. Like to watch a Ricky Gervais and go, oh man, like how good are the points that he's making? And then try and do it. You're like, oh no, I just sound like an asshole. <laughs> there's, there's like a there's a good way, I guess, to be funny. But uh, that's the challenge. That's the beauty. That's what I love about this scene. Like stand up comedy. It's a funny. Uh, again, pardon the pun. It is a funny scene though. It's a weird scene. Man, if I if I hear any more about Blippy, have you guys seen Blippy? It's amazing. Obviously, this makes sense. I've got two young kids. Blippy's a name that comes up when you have kids. And until you have kids, you've got no idea who this guy is. And then one day he'll just sneakily pop up on your algorithm and you go, That's a good thumbnail. Let's see what this is about. And all of a sudden, your kid's been watching him for 18 months and and the voice has become normal in your household. And you go, Well, what what's happened here? How did this voice that bothered me so much at the start of our journey together become just a normal part of our day-to-day lives? It's a it's a very strange thing. My boy loves it. It's it's strange watching um like I find it strange watching grown men and women act like kids. I do it, but I don't do it on YouTube. Do you know? Apart well, that's not true because I mean all you have to do is flick through the history of this show and you can probably disprove that within 10 seconds but but what i'm trying to say is this is not a kids program essentially that's just a fault of my own that needs to be worked on but i'm not i'm not putting up videos and ticking the box that this is made for kids for all you youtubers out there it's one of the steps you've got to put up but blippy man some of his videos it is amazing how many views some people have on youtube like this blippy guy's looking at I think I think this is the video. If you type in Blippy ice cream truck, I want to say that one of his videos had 421 million views and it is the shittest video. It is so bad. I, my kid, honestly, Charlie Boy, he's watched it 47 times in the last week. He he loves it. Whenever he's not sure, Blippy ice cream truck, if that one's not available or he's not interested in that at that moment, 
It's Spider-Man motorbikes. Because Hulk does a fart in that video. And, and to him, it's the funniest thing that he's ever seen. But I tell you, if you're a, if you're a drama student when you're in high school, if you're a drama student, you've got a love for kids or you like teaching, don't, don't become a teacher. Start making kids' videos on YouTube because uh, the ad revenue is in, insane. And then you could sell merch. You, sell, you could sell your blippy equivalent hat. And then before you know it, before you know it, I'll be talking about you on this podcast going, man, I can't believe this, but how annoying are they? But you'll be laughing because you're so loaded and you've got half a billion views. I watched, um, I stupidly showed my kid that video, what does the fox say? You know, what does the fox say? And man, like there's there's not a moment in our day where that, that song's not being requested. And Dance Monkey's the other one. What's the other one he likes? It's interesting. No one cares about your kids as much as, as you do. And, and so I'm aware of that. I apologize that... Uh, but I've just spent the last couple of minutes going on about him. Hey, before I go, man, I um I was watching that movie Babylon the other day. Have you seen that with Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie? Very, I, I like that dark art kind of vibe a little bit. It's very in your face. Like if you're um, I mean, there's a lot of sex going on. There's a lot of drugs. But man, it's good. <laughs> just, you got to be careful how you say that. You can't you can't say that to your wife and 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 just expect everything to be cool. Baby, you want to watch this? There's like a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of nudity. What do you reckon? Press play. Because she goes, you look like a freak right now. And I go, well, I can't really argue with that point. You seem to be right. But anyway, there's a little movie recommendation for you. I'm going to watch that Michael J. Fox one this week. Mate recommended that to me and. My mate Brendo's got a reputation for, for throwing out some pretty good recommendations. So I'll check that one out. If I shouldn't do it, let me know. Save me the time. Save me the trouble. I'm hoping I come back here to you next week. Uh, a man with a better back and a man with some better calves. Also, can you guys send me some recommendations on who you'd like me to interview? There's so many, there's so many good people out there that... Um, but it's so much easier when you've got a contact as well, a connection. Put me in touch. But anyway, you guys have a great weekend, and, uh, and I'll see you all here again next week.